We're back. This is a difficult subject, this matter of genetically modified organisms. When you find them taking G DNA from a fish and putting it in a soybean and, and some of this uh, strange stuff that's going on, well, you know, we could do several shows and we probably still wouldn't adequately cover it. So I would recommend, once again, you attend the documentary film either tonight in Sacramento or tomorrow in Davis and, uh, and see what you can to learn about it. And we're going to return to it in the future. And to return briefly, as we did in our first segment, to the situation in, in the Middle East, um, we would note that the Atlantic Monthly has reported that uh, the U.S. government is in all that's taking a public relations beating overseas that uh, U.S. brands, or at least companies that are felt to be uh, United States associated, are not doing very well. They did a survey in Canada and Europe and noted that 20% of the people surveyed reported consciously avoiding American products in response to American foreign policy. The brands most at risk were those that have America or American in their name, such as AOL or American Airlines, or are considered quintessentially American, such as Coca-Cola and McDonald's. Interestingly, the brand most at risk among all those mentioned the, with the highest percentage that European and Canadian consumers said they will definitely avoid was Marlboro cigarettes, with over 60% of people saying they were going to definitely avoid it. All right, for some happier news, we would like to uh, refer you to the J. Freedom Dulac article in yesterday's Sacramento Bee about Air America, one year later. It was... Uh, one year ago yesterday that uh, Air America was turned loose on the nation and uh, after having a, quite a few financial difficulties, it looks as though they've made it and looks as though they're here to stay. They're currently on 53 radio stations as well as XM and Sirius Satellite Radio. Its history apparently will be gone over on HBO tonight at 8 o'clock on, on a show titled Left of the Dial. I don't know whether any of you have uh, HBO, but I don't know, it might be worth Worth checking out. In Sacramento, Talk City, 1240 AM is where you can uh, get Air America. And uh, interestingly, it's apparently uh, brought the station, which was in a ratings black hole, up to 21st in market rankings, at least according to the last two Arbitron ratings books. And curiously, it appears that uh, Clear Channel Radio is putting uh, profits ahead of ideology and, uh, and putting Air America on numerous stations across the country. Ed Schultz uh, uh, also got a good write-up in Newsweek magazine last month. Ed Schultz comes out of Fargo, North Dakota. He uh, is basically the Rush Limbaugh of the left. We were trying to get Ed to come on this show a few months back, but um, thanks to a scheduling error by yours truly, uh, I didn't get him on, and he's he's kind of a pill to deal with. But uh, we're going we're gonna to try to get Ed Schultz back on and see if we can't uh, let people hear more about what he's got to say. I think he should be on 1240 AM. Maybe we can help Ed with that. And uh, before they disappear from the newsstands, I'd recommend you snag a copy of last quarter's K Deviations magazine, uh, the in-house uh, publication of this station, for an excellent article from Todd Urich about Sacramento Community Radio. And uh, Todd Inside gives you a list of all of the different stations that are non-commercial. And it's, it's a pretty good little article. I want to thank a lot of our music DJs who, who do support uh, the public affairs programming we have here uh, on, on KDVS. In fact, it was, uh, it was one of our... Uh, 
one of our music DJs that uh, that told uh, Sandy Weaver about our program, who uh, who brought uh, to us um, Ignacio Chapella and the news about the Future of Food documentary. So thank you to everyone for that. A lot of times for this show, I've got a pile of articles in front of me that I just start flipping through and some things we don't get to for weeks. Here's one that I didn't get to many weeks ago. Article about... Uh, outgoing Secretary of State Kevin Shelley. Apparently he was had his house burglarized. Someone entered his house and, uh, well, didn't steal much of anything except his personal digital assistant device. It was said in, in this Chronicle article that Shelley reportedly bragged to people so often about using it to raise $3 million in donations for his 2002 campaign that they came to dub it the Palm Pilot Speech. There are a lot of folks out there that suspect that uh, some of Kevin Shelley's woes had to do with the fact that he would not play ball with electronic voting machine companies. He decertified a number of those, and there are a lot of folks who suspect that uh, Bruce McPherson, the interim Secretary of State, who will serve until we have an election to choose a new person to uh, to assume that mantle, um, is going to be more friendly to the folks that would like to have electronic vote counting, you know, like they have in Florida and Ohio and a lot of other states. You know, the kind that have no paper trail, so you pretty much have to take the word of the company that counted the votes that they did it right, and if you suspect they didn't, well, there's really not a damn thing you can do about it. We're waiting for someone like Greg Palast to finish investigating and tell to tell us what you know, what happened in Ohio? We have our suspicions, no smoking gun, but that that's, that's the whole point about having no paper trail. No smoking gun. And an item that just had to crack me up, Cuban leader Fidel Castro was outraged after Forbes magazine listed him among the world's wealthiest rulers. Castro said it was unfair to compare him to the thieves and plunderers running other countries. Forbes figured that Castro's net worth was something like $550 million based on the estimated value of state-owned companies that he, in fact, controls. And we praised Newsweek just a bit ago for some of its excellent reportage about what's going on in Iraq, but we do have to take a little bit away from them for the fact that when they put Martha Stewart on the cover uh, a few weeks back and noted how, how slim she was looking, well, to illustrate it, they then plastered Martha's head on a model's body, a model who was probably a lot slimmer than the real Martha Stewart. A Newsweek editor in an interview with USA Today said this the week's cover was not misleading because anyone familiar with Martha's current situation would know the image is an illustration. The magazine identified it as such on page three, but uh, Ken Light, journalism professor at UC Berkeley and curator of its Center for Photography, said the public doesn't necessarily look at page three or even understand the concept of a photo illustration and that they'd really cross the line with this one. We would remind you of that, that uh, famous case down in Florida regarding the Fox, uh, Fox News reporter Jane Aker. The ruling coming out of the courts down there saying that the news has no obligation to be truthful. I don't know if you noticed this little uh, miscellaneous news story. Bobby Fischer, who in this picture looked remarkably like Fidel Castro, he was detained for nine months in Japan for having an invalid U.S. passport, and the U.S. wanted to bring him back to press charges on him for some damn thing. I, I don't know. Apparently, the the Icelandic people, the Icelandic government anyway, 
perhaps in gratitude for the putting them on the map when uh, when he played Boris Spassky in Reykjavik, Iceland, back in the 1970s. The government of Iceland offered Bobby Fischer citizenship, and he flew from Japan to Iceland. Actually, I'm looking down and reading the article. Apparently, Fischer was wanted by the United States for violating sanctions imposed on the former Yugoslavia by playing an exhibition match there against his old nemesis, Boris Spassky, in 1992. Fischer could face 10 years in prison and a quarter of a million dollars in fines. I guess the U.S. government considers uh, chess in a sanctioned area a major crime. No wonder other nations think we're nuts. I've got a matter here that just kind of, you know, blows me away. I've talked about it in passing in the past. We've only got about three minutes to mention it today, so this will be an incomplete analysis of the following. But I wanted to bring to your attention a case going on in Chicago involving the Rush University Medical Center. Apparently, Heather Brewster was a woman who was struck by a first-year internal medicine resident driving home after a 36-hour shift in July of 1997. She sustained a head injury that's left her permanently disabled and has been deemed incompetent by the courts. Her family is suing the resident and the teaching hospital, Rush University Medical Center, noting that Rush should be held liable for enforcing a work schedule that leaves residents sleep-deprived. They've asked an appeals court to overturn a lower court ruling excluding Rush from the lawsuit on the grounds that it could not be held responsible for an employee's after-work conduct. Having taken part in the barbarity of these long shifts, which has only been very much partially resolved by recent legislation in the United States, um, this is nuts. Studies have shown you're as impaired, or if not more impaired, than being above the legally drunk limit. People I went to medical school with got in car crashes driving home. It is not unusual in the grand scheme of things in American medical training to have people work theoretically 36 straight hours. I believe I only did it twice, which is an astoundingly low number in medical training because I I would spontaneously fall asleep after about 24, 26 hours. If I stopped moving, I would fall asleep for 10 minutes. The Brewster's attorney said it's only appropriate that the hospitals be held accountable. They're the ones that imposed the work schedule. Therefore, it controlled the conduct of its employees. According to legal scholars, the fact that a a state court is even deciding that this practice might be up for examination sets a precedent that could cause waves all across the nation. We don't have time to go into this at at great length today, but we certainly hope that it does cause such a tsunami-like effect uh, across the country. It is just ridiculous to ask people to stay up for that length of time. It just, it's crazy. You, You will hear it argued with people with a straight face, will argue that it's important that you stay up for 36 straight hours so that you have good continuity of care for patients. Now, there is something to that. Having to hand off patients to someone after an 18-hour shift is a little more difficult. One has to then do more writing. You're taking over. There's something to that, but it's mostly hogwash. It's about economics. It's about dollars and cents. It's about keeping somebody on the job for very long periods of time and not paying them any more money. I promise you we will follow up on this, and I do find it rather uh, interesting that I'm rooting for the lawyers in this one and against the medical personnel, who I don't 
in most cases not doctors, more like hospital administrators, but in some case doctors. In this case, I'm rooting for those lawyers. And speaking of lawyers, final item for today's program, uh, we would note the passing of legal eagle Johnny Cochran uh, earlier this week. Mr. Cochran was quite celebrated and successful in his career. He uh, got off Michael Jackson many years ago and, of course, as is famously known, got off O.J. Simpson. I've got to confess, I, I've always been disturbed at people like Johnny Cochran who, who use uh, their brilliant mind and legal talents to thwart justice. Some years back, Ralph Nader came and spoke at uh, McGeorge School of Law, and I listened to him talk and, and ask for uh, these young, budding legal eagles to consider going out and doing what they can to benefit society, and I, I don't know whether anyone ever took him up on that. And um, given what a lot of corporate weasel lawyer types are doing, defending people like uh, Bernard Ebers and, 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 uh, and Kenny Boy Lay, I'd hate to go picking on Johnny Cochran for, uh, you know, how he earned his living, but one, one of my favorites. And sooner or later, we're going to have to make a comment on this program, I think, about the Michael Jackson fiasco of a trial going on, but let's just go out with the following. The beginning of his famous song, Bad, which opens with the following line. That's right, your butt is mine. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Our thanks again to Professor Ignacio Chapello, who I hope will return to this program in the future. Please go do yourself a favor and see the future of food either tonight at the Crest Theater or tomorrow at the Veterans Memorial Theater here in Davis. This program was produced by Edward McMillan, and uh, stay tuned now, of course, for Todd. We're going to have to have Todd come on this show and talk about his article. It's a great article in K Deviations. Grab a copy of that if you get a chance. We'll see you next Thursday at 5 o'clock. Make